Welcome to Hami Media Group, or as the cool kids say, HMG. We're here to provide you with the very best entertainment alternative media has to offer. Thank you to all our supporters who have made us what we are today. Follow us on social media, video, and podcast platforms at Hami Media Group. Become a subscriber to Hami Media Group at Patreon.com for great free daily content as well as off-the-top-rope extras. Subscribe to our affiliate Patreon channels with a plethora of fun content on various tiers that will bring tears of joy to your eyes. Vince Russo's The Brand, The Rip Rogers FR Podcast, Stevie Ray TV, Goldilocks, The A Show with Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, Velvet Sky and Angelina Love, The Beautiful People, and now... The Larry Hankin Stories. Support your favorite HMG and independent pro wrestling talent at ProWrestlingTees.com. Enjoy the ultimate meal with Zordos Ultra Premium Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Head over to ZordosOliveOil.com. Start your day with the best cup of joe, bro. Try a fantastic selection of flavorful coffee blends at TheBrosters.com. StevieRichardsFitness.com. Get off that couch and make a healthy change without leaving your home. Amazing resistance band and yoga workout programs at an affordable price that will help you become a band new you. Hear from the pros who live the biz, bro, with talent that have worked for every major organization led by the man who put the attitude back in pro wrestling and in your ear holes. It's gotta be russosbrand.com bro again we'd like to thank you for joining us here at hmg and now it's time to be entertained The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. My powers have doubled since the last time we met Count. Hey! Suffering. Death, I fear. Something terrible has happened. Young Skywalker is in dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. You don't know the power of the dark side. I must obey my master. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Time for droids were looking for. Master Skywalker. There are too many of them. What are we going to do? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Do I only help? Hello there. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Hi, hi. Order. 
Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, Jedi, Sith, Mandalorians, Twi'leks, even all you clones, both you regs and you bad batchers. And I guess this is an inclusive podcast, you Transdotions as well, to another exciting special edition of the new Force Order. Life podcast. We're a Star Wars podcast. Now, this constitutes what, Doc? Episode 116, 17? What is this? Where are we at with this? 116, I 116, I believe. All right. Well, after 116 episodes, if you have not realized that Doc, myself, and uh Spiro, who's not here right now, he's over in Mexico. Um, it's a Star Wars podcast. And you have not realized that by now, there's no hope for you, Sunshine. And Doc, what do we say to those people who do not have hope? We can't build rebellions. Rebellions are built on hope. Rebellions are built on hope. That's right. No hope, no rebellions. But I digress. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is uh, the Greek god Papa Don, a.k.a. GGP, one-third of your hosts. Bow to the Greek, Greek god. I am a pro wrestler, multi-time champion in a galaxy far, far away current heavyweight champion in three different promotions at the same time but most importantly i'm a star wars aficionado and the side next to me is the force ghost in the room all the way from exigo it's the stiff lord himself hit him with a hey yo introduce yourself big guy hey yo ladies and gentlemen i am the dark lord of the podcast the sith Ari, the rampaging revan kiss the butcher your boy dark spirit on and last but certainly not least it's everyone's favorite doc. And no, even though he is a doctor of love, what he loves to specialize in is the doctor of thundernomics because he loves stealing your thunder. Introduce yourself. I am smarter than 2-1-B, more technical than FX7, the god of stealing thunder. And the guy who has it on good account that uh, Papadon is as fragile as a translucent green goddess's hips. Dr. Destroyo, Alex Arroyo. That Don't was a joke for that was a joke for our Papadon. And ladies and gentlemen, all six of our fans, I want to introduce our guest today. Actually, you know what, sir? I want you to introduce yourself. Let the fans know what an honor it is to have you on the show, why it's an honor, and who you are. All right, well, straight from the former grass plans of Alderaan that don't exist anymore and across the street from Maternia with the mighty power of He-Man and mighty Spectre, I'm Scott Toyguru Nightlick, lifelong toy collector, Chewbacca friend, and enemy of all power droids everywhere. I, that work, I tried. Perfect. That, that was great. <laughs> that was on the fly. That was amazing. Listen, you yeah, have no idea. Uh, you have no idea when we bring a guest onto the show and they, after they hear our intro, they're like, oh, I wasn't ready. Uh, and they'll be like, hi, I'm John Smith. Um, thank you. And then that's it. But you came, you brought, you brought, the, you brought your A game. So good stuff, man. What were you going to say? Hey, I'm a collector too. I've been lucky enough to work in the industry. But yeah, I'm, you know, it's like one of us, one of us. Nice. We ask our first time guests this question. So... No pressure, but what <laughs> what are your first memories of Star Wars, and when, is, when was the first time you fell in love with it? It could be one and the same. It could be two different scenarios. Go. Ooh, I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Well, 
my first non-cognitive memory, but what I've been told about is that um, I was born in 78, so a year after A New Hope came out, but obviously it was still in theaters because that's what they did back then. And my parents tell me they took me as a six-month-old to go see Star Wars, and, and they weren't sure if I'd make it through, you know, the movie or, you know, cry my way out. And they've told me that they put me on their lap and I just stared at the screen for two and a half hours without blinking. So that probably has something to do with, you know, warping my mind. My first mem actual memory, I think, is when my grandfather took me to see Empire. And when Luke crashed on Dagobah, I freaked out and asked to leave the theater um, and like never saw the end of the movie. Um, when I fell in love with Star Wars, I mean, as a, I, I, as a kid, I, I don't, I mean, I just, I always loved the toys, but I remember in high school, um, I, was, I was very involved in the uh, theater group and the acting, and one of my friends that I met in the theater group, uh, Brian King, we were filling out, there was a prop that was uh, like insurance forms, uh, I, whatever the play was, and so we were filling them out so they actually had writing on them, and uh, you know, I was just writing like, you know, Bob Johnson and, you know, Mary Smith. And I look over what he's doing and he's writing Biggs Darklighter and Wedge Antilles. And I was like, who the hell is Wedge Antilles? He's like, you're a Star Wars fan. I'm like, well, yeah, but I've never heard of Biggs Darklighter. And so he explained like, you know, this whole like, you know, it's not just Luke, Han, Leia and Chewbacca. There's like this whole other world. I was like blown away. And that was like. I was like, okay, wow, this is like not, this is way bigger than I ever thought it was. And yeah, now, you know, 10,000 action figures later, here I am. Very cool. Very cool. That's, that's probably one of the best stories we ever heard. Yeah. Well, I, I hate sure. to break the news. I hate to break the news to you, Scott. Um, I'm going to hit you with a little spoiler. Vader uh -oh. admits that he's Luke's father at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Since you didn't see the movie no! at the end. <laughs> That's odd. That's the exact reaction that Mark Hamill has. <laughs> Very cool, man. Listen, you were born in 78. I'm born in 77. Doc was born in 1862. We're all good. So we're all around the same age. 76. Age. Relax, 76. <laughs> so we're all in the same demographic here. So uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting conversation. Um so, Doc, we'll hit him with a toy question since you're the aficionado well, in the action I, I, I think I think the best thing to do is kind of to go through the history of uh, you know where Scott's have has has worked in the past. So, if you want to just break it down from there, Scott, we uh, you know I'm sure our listeners, all six of them, would would appreciate hearing it. Yeah, no, I'll, like you know, one job per listener. So uh, I started. So uh, well, I went to college and majored in film and communication. I wanted to go on to be a screenwriter. And realizing that you don't just you know go from college to writing a blockbuster movie, I got my first job in medical advertising. I worked on glaucoma and skin care, and could tell you more about inner eye care than you ever wanted to know. I feel like I have a medical degree in that. And but I definitely I always wanted to work in toys, and but really never knew how to get in. And uh, I growing up in Southern California, Mattel used to have their headquarters right off of the main freeway, which was called the 405, and you saw the giant red Mattel logo. And every time we drive up and down from, I lived in Orange County, which is south of Los Angeles, I'd see the Mattel logo. So I knew they were right there. And I basically started applying right when I graduated college. 
And we always get their little uh, postcard saying, thank you. We have your, you know, rep, your uh, resume on file. Well, I wound up finally getting my foot in the door uh, when I connected with a Mattel marketing manager at San Diego Comic-Con, just going as a fan. And I think unlike a lot of people, especially when I was at Mattel, who would come up and say, I want a job in the toy industry. And I would say, well, what do you want to do? And they'd say, I want a job in the toy industry. Well, uh, at this point, I'd worked in pharmaceutical advertising for four years, and I had a professional portfolio. And I hadn't realized how much being able to navigate pharmaceutical advertising with all like the warnings and the, you know, you inject this drug and it'll cause, you know, your hand to fall off. <laughs> that, um, that translates very well over to toy because toys have all those safety warnings and legal issues. And you have to be able to navigate that. And they saw that skill set is very transferable. So I was offered a job as a writer in the Hot Wheels group. And did that for about two years. And I was, you know, high as a kite. I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Except for the fact that the action figure group was like one cubicle over. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, being in Wonka's chocolate factory, but not being able to get in. Um, so uh, at one point, um, management, upper management came down and wanted to talk to the groups about, you know, things that were issues and, People, I was in the packaging group and people are saying, oh, we're having trouble with, you know, blister glue or, you know, getting the, you know, cases, whatever, whatever. And I raise my hand in the back and say, why don't we sell action figures designed for the adult collector? And they're like, what the hell? This is not why I'm here. I'm here to talk about like, you know, blister issues. So four months later, finally get a meeting with him. He thinks it's an interesting concept. I make a presentation. I show a bunch of toys. I explain what I'm spending on toys, but not on the tell product in my personal life. And they moved me over from the writing group into marketing, where I started what became MaddieCollector.com, which was Mattel's direct-to-collector online website, where we were doing figure of the month, uh, you know, club, if you will, for brands like DC. Masters of the Universe, Ghostbusters. Uh, eventually, we did a lot of prop replicas. And at the same time, because with the stars aligning, uh, Mattel had gotten the master license for DC up from just doing Superman and Batman. They could now do everyone else, like you know, Flash and Grey Ghost. So, um, actually, that would be a bad example. Grey Ghost is a Batman figure, but that's not important right now. So I was the I became the brand manager of the DC retail line. That was like my actual job. And Maddie Collector was sort of like my hobby job, where they let me do that as long as I did my day job of managing DC. And so I did that for seven, eight years. Then my former boss, who was now at Jack Specific, which is one of Mattel's competitors across the uh, the street. Uh, he offered me the position to come in and work and be director over their big figs line. And at the time, their jewel license was Star Wars, and they were gearing up for Episode Seven. So this was a chance to actually work on Star Wars product. Um, I did work on Hot Wheels Star Wars. I launched that brand, and I've got some funny stories about that. Um, but they weren't action figures, and so this was even though these weren't three and three fourth or six inch, they were still Star Wars action figures. So I left Mattel to go over to Jax as a director. And then was offered um, a, a VP job at Jada, where I started the metals line, the nano metals, the little guys. And that was actually based on, I brought in the, my old Kenner uh, micro collection figures and showed them, like, we should do this. Um, 
And then I worked for Loot Crate for a little while, uh, fixing some of their online issues with distribution and Entertainment Earth on Pinmates before uh, realizing, okay, my daughter needs a yard and moving to North Carolina, where I formed my own uh, consulting slash toy company, Spectra Creative. And I'm actually really excited because we've got our first product that's coming to Target this fall. So uh, going from working for toy companies to uh, helping people develop product and doing my own product. And that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> Always wanting to have fun, Austin. That's you in a nutshell. No, this is me in a nutshell. Help! I'm in a nutshell. How did I get into this nutshell? Look at the size of this bloody great big nutshell. What sort of shell has a nut like this? I mean, this is crazy. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Can you uh, can you elaborate on what the product coming to Target is, or you you can't talk about it? Um, a little a little of both. Um, okay. Not adult collector toys, I will tell you that. It's not at all anything like what I collect, but it is product that meets a very unmet need in the marketplace. Um, and I part, I'm, it's not just me, I partner with some very talented uh, child psychiatrists and packaging designers. Um, we have, have a great team, and we will be ready to announce it very soon. And believe me, I will not be quiet. You can definitely check out my YouTube channel on Spectro Creative because I'll be uh, very uh, vocal about it once we're ready to announce. Sweet. Oh, very good. Congratulations. That's awesome news, man. It's Thank always, it, I think you've uh, broken the matrix, if you will. You've cracked the code because a person who does what they love to do for a living is the richest person in the world, you know? Um, you love toys. You love uh, you love Star Wars. You love Masters of the Universe. You love comic books. You you know, and then you got a job working in that field. So kudos to you, my man. That's awesome. A lot of people they sit there and they say, "Shoulda, coulda, woulda," or you know, "I'm afraid to take that first step," and they live with regret. You are the opposite. So more people should uh, follow their dreams and do what you're doing, and that's obviously um, living life to the fullest. So kudos. Yeah. Um, Airline. <laughs> exactly. Don't worry. I'm there. See this guy already. Look at him over there. He's even worse. I have uh, a full head I, of hair. Bro. I you know. know I know. You, you, you told me that for ten years now. I still don't believe you. Um, I, I'd be remiss, Scott, if 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 I didn't tell you that you know, as fans, we we, we had this love hate relationship with Maddie Collector, and, and I know you know that as a fact. You know, at some point we wanted to drown you in the digital river if you get my double entente over there, because uh, it was so. So it was so time consuming and stress inducing to log on in the very early days of Maddie to try to get the, you know, figure of the month for the for the, uh, the Masters of the Universe line. And you'd sit there and you'd be like, shit, am I going to get it? You'd be in the cart and then you'd be out and then you'd be back in and then you'd be sitting there for like 30 minutes fighting back and forth while, you know, hoping that, you know, whatever figure of the month was the Moss Man wasn't sold out that uh, at that minute because, you know, Evil Bay would have killed you for that on top of that. So yeah, I think you started that online trend of let's you know, drop the pre-order and let it be up there for like 90 seconds before the fans want to you know, beat their heads against the computer screen because they couldn't get it, which I, for me, it's like it, it, it has two things for me. It's like one, it drives me bananas because the anxiety and the stress produced by not being able to get it and having to go to eBay. But then when you get it, it's the feeling that you get, you know, that I don't have anymore when I walk into Toys R Us. Where you see the you know a whole brand new peg, peg of figures sitting there, and you're like, "Fuck yes, I got it," um, and then you can brag about it online. So it was so. 
I always stressed out on on the day that you guys would do drops because um of that of that simple little fact and and then be, sitting in the digital river uh, hell of 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 the spinning wheel waiting for it to come through drove drove us all crazy. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> See, I can't even I can't even relate because again, I'm not a toy guy. Um, I do. Uh, have- I can tell you, you know, as you noted in the early days, you know, it's like, um, obviously, you know, we we did everything we could to like adding the subscription program, so you yeah. were guaranteed the figures. That was like a godsend for us. We were like, okay, yeah. we're done. Wrap it up. Um, the biggest thing I can say about all of that is, you know, and there's a reason that probably Mattel doesn't do Maddie Collector anymore, is Mattel. And, you know, to the same degree, I would assume Hasbro, I've never worked for Hasbro, um, but they're not set up to do things like that. They're set up to mass produce dolls and die cast vehicles and occasionally Batman figures for mass retail. So doing a completely different um, distribution strategy of direct to consumer figure of the month is just not something, you know, that, like the company is almost too big for really what are very tiny sales. I mean, the sales on anything we did on Maddie Collector or even DCU at retail was tiny compared to like, you know, Monster High or, uh, you know, Hot Wheels, et cetera, or Fisher Price. So, you know, it, it was, lo- the, the whole thing was like a square peg in a round hole from day one. So getting it, like even just getting the, you know, the company to agree to do that, which was basically because I agreed to do it for free. Like it wasn't worth it. They wouldn't even hire a brand manager for Maddie Collector because the revenue wasn't big enough to justify the headcount. So, um, you know, which is why it fell apart when I left because there was no, I mean, no one was going to volunteer to do that except yeah. for you know, me, um, you know, because I'm crazy. So, yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I hate that. I mean, you know, I, everything you're saying about the emotional connection, the, yeah, the thrill of walking in the Toys R Us and seeing, you know, a fresh case pack. You know, there's nothing like that's the cool, and and especially when there's no one around. Oh, it's the best. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're like when you're waiting outside Target, and there's three other guys, but then those three other guys head to the Hot Wheels aisle. Yes, Uh, (laughs) I've been there so many times. I'm like, look at you losers. (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, there's definitely parts that sucked, but. And I hate to say, like, be grateful for what we were getting, but it kind of oh, was that because it was absolutely, like, yeah, it was that or nothing. And we did, you know, like you said, it was in the beginning, and we, you know, we did actively do everything we could, like adding the subscription program. And you know, it was a learning process. I mean, we were making it up as we went. It wasn't something the company does, and it the the reason they got rid of it is because it's not, you know, Mattel's not set up to do that. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was like the first foray into something like that where you guys were doing adult collector stuff, like you said, and putting it online from here. And I can't imagine that you had expected the response that that it had gotten and what it had generated. I mean, those first few MOTC figures go for a ton of money. I mean, like, you know, that Skeletor, that He-Man, the Strats, they go for a lot of dough. And on the back end, you guys were trying to make things right for everybody. Um, you know, I know there was at some point you were giving out a free figure if you had the subscription and and other random stuff. But uh, it was it was definitely a, an interesting time, and I think it, it set the tone for like what's happening now. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're you know paying attention, you have your finger on the pulse with all 
Hasbro's G.I. Joe drops and the shit that's happening with that stuff and how people are going crazy with all the Target exclusives and 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 the, and the buzz is generating from there and they hate it's generating from there too because much like people in the sneaker world, much like people in the card world, action figure fans are a bunch of salty bitches sometimes when it comes to when they can't get their stuff and they got to go to eBay to get that flip and, and pay, you know, two, three times the price for it. Um, and they can cry like babies. I, I know I recently, I don't know if you saw it, but Target has has banned the, the in-store sales of Pokemon cards because all these guys are lining up outside and like trying to murder each other to get inside to to grab all the Pokemon stuff. So. And in the action figure world, you know, I'm on all these message boards and these these Instagram pages. Everybody's afraid that now they're going to push to that for action figures because, you know, you got this subset of fans who are running at the Target yelling at employees that, you know, I know you have five of them at the back. I want one right now. I want all five of them right now. I'm like, you know, losing their minds. So because people can't play nice in the sandbox because they either want to flip it to make some dough or they don't want to go to eBay to, to have to to pay the, the marked up prices. Um, but um, for me, I mean, like I... I, I was massive Masters of the Universe fan. Like you said, you, know, you and I are, are fairly the same age and we grew up in the same time. And seeing you guys do the Masters line the way you did it in that kind of almost chunky style of the original Masters line and with all the accessories updated and really pushing out a significant amount of, of the, the core characters and the sub-characters and the really obscure characters. It was like a dream. Like I, like, I wish I had room to put up my, my He-Man stuff, but I just don't have like current space right now you know i live in brooklyn and my house is already ridiculously overpriced uh and uh this is the, the space that i'm working with it's like i don't know it's about three it's about closet um but uh masters was was what was one of, one of my favorites always one of my favorites um and it had continued that because of the labor of love i'm sure you put it through it because if you weren't getting paid to, to deal with that headache and I'm sure Mattel was getting a significant amount of emails about you know, distribution and who can't get what. And I was on the website. It was in my cart. And by the time I got the checkout, it was gone. Um, I can't imagine having to deal with all that crap on the back end because I, I, I know these fans. And I, I try not to be one as best as I can and do anything I can to get stuff at retail um, and then suck it up and pay eBay prices if I have to. But uh, as, as a collective, we want to thank you for doing that because it was definitely um, an awesome time in, in the toy industry. And I think, like I said, set the tone for for future stuff where people like Super 7 are doing um, now the Silverhawks they announced this week, which is a great show, which I thought I would never see another Silverhawk toy in my entire lifetime. And they kind of carried upon, you know, the, the whole Maddie collector line and doing it in that similar style because they have the MOT, the, the, the Masters license as well. And they also have the um, Thundercats license. So, you know, I think despite the fact that... It, it, it it's got probably good good and bad connotations for you um, in the past. It still lives on, and we're still enjoying that uh, that that style and that line. So um, it's uh, and I'm still spending a lot of money since uh, two days ago. I spent two hundred and some odd dollars on on the new figure uh, on, the, on the new Silverhawk stuff that's that are coming out. I'm just shaking my head as I'm sitting there, and re and, and trying to realize how any, and anybody who just has a nine to five affords their toys. So you said you had 10,000 figures in your collection, give or take a few, I'm, I'm guessing. What's your most prized Star Wars collection and what's your most prized non-Star Wars collection? I mean, collection, it's really... Yeah, I think I, I think he means just piece. Yeah, like piece, part of your collection, I'm saying. Um, ooh, well, gosh. It's a hard question, I know, right? They're all like your babies. You can't, you can't pick one. Yeah, I mean... I, you know, I, like, uh, I, I mean, I have, um, 
with Star Wars, it's more like what you know. It really just comes down to like what are like my favorites. Okay. Uh, since they, since Power of the Force two launched, the figure that was the top of my wish list was always Tatooine Biggs from the cutscene. So when they finally made that figure in the 30th anniversary line, despite a lack of the articulation, um, I was just ecstatic to get that figure because that was like I never thought that figure would exist. I bought like six of them. Is he behind you right now? Because I think I see him. Yeah, I'm sure he. Yeah, yeah, he's. I mean, I have. Yep, I've got a cart. Like, there's very few figures I have uh, carded, but he's and he's like on like three different shelves here. Um, <laughs> here let's see if this will. So, I, I don't know. So I've got like my, my got my high. I really like Rebel pilots. I've got like my Jabba palace kind of thing. Um. And then I have like some of my favorites. I keep like out. I, I just have too many figures to you know, like you with the uh, with the display space. Here we'll go into like the back room here. So here's where I actually keep most of my stuff. That is fairly well organized, I must say. It's impressive. Yeah, so it's like every one of these drawers, you know, has. Ooh, yeah. 77 loop, nice. Oh, well, that's the, that's the retro collection. Got it. So, you know, just here, let me see if there's someone, you know, there's a, a Han that came up. The older figures are towards the back there. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, if I'm going to come down to a piece I really like, it's usually because I like that figure. Um, like, I don't have anything, like, crazy, weird, valuable, or rare, I think. Except, really, it's the fact that I have every three and three-fourth figure from uh, Power of the Force to Chewbacca through uh, whatever, what was the latest, like, I think the, the Return of the Jedi Boba Fett that just came out. Um, original trilogy. So, like, there's not, I have, I mean, I think I'm missing one. I'm missing the Boba Fett from the 2020, 2012 uh, movie heroes line with the uh, zipline jetpack that was only released in Europe. I haven't like shelled out $150 for that figure yet, but I will one day. So really to me, it's, it's really the fact that I like, it's not one figure. It's the fact that I have every figure like yeah. you know, as a completist, I can say like, yeah, I've got a full set. And I've had to replace a few figures over the years. There were a couple that got lost in the move from California. Um, you know, some it's, accessories it's, that got lost. So I've replaced the full figure. <laughs> It's amazing how that happens. Like you, you know, you you move place and some somehow something just disappears. And you're like, I don't know where that went. I'll never find it again. It's it's sad. Yeah, I, like, and I had every. I mean, you saw everything is in a drawer, and one of the ones that disappeared over the move was I had the Marvel Legends Spider Man Wrath Comic Con figure, uh, the one with the McFarlane head. I've yeah. Moved it since then, and like I know I had that figure, and it just didn't show up after the move. And I was like, I know the movers wouldn't have taken it. Like, you know, what the heck. Um, as far as other figures, um, I mean, besides, you know, Mighty Spectre and getting to do a character I created, I have the Justice League Unlimited Hal Jordan, which was only 120 of those were made. Um, and I'm a huge Justice League Unlimited fan as far as a toy line. So that was like, like, the, I mean, he's on my shelf, like yeah. two Royal Guards. Uh, that, that was a pop to know. That was a, an employee exclusive for Christmas, right? They handed him out. Yep. Yeah. It was more of a, uh, sort of a. Uh, not, I wouldn't call it a suck-up gift, but it was like a, for the for Warner Brothers. Um, but it was also given to some Mattel employees, and uh, fortunately, I was in the right place at the right time, so I landed one of those. Um, yeah, otherwise, it's mostly 
kind of oh, Cyclops just fell down and knocked over Wolverine. Um, You're always fighting those two. That's for banging Gene. Yeah, I know. That's why I keep them separated. Um, yeah, I mean, mostly it's really about like having complete sets. Um, you know, like I mean, with what Marvel Legends has been pumping out lately, like I think I bought more Marvel Legends in the last year than I got in the last five years, just because they like came out with so many. But now I almost have all the Marvel Legends I want. Like, there's I have a list of basically who I wanted to buy because I'm not just getting. It's not with Star Wars. I'm a completist. With Marvel Legends, I'm a you know, I get Spider-Man villains and I get uh, 1992 X-Men. So nice. You know, at this point, like here, go on. So that's kind of my Marvel Legends shelf there. And uh, get that Savage Dragon out of there. I saw. <laughs> yeah, he snuck on there, but he's you know from the same time period. Uh, I'm I'm going to show you something cool because I just I just saw you swing by your uh, your comic collection that's on the wall and I saw something on the wall that uh, you'll you, you'll appreciate this custom that I made because you also do Spider-Man villains. That's not the umpire, Your Honor. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. Recognize that guy? Oh, yeah. Well, that's been my number one. Do you know about that whole thing with me? No, well, I don't. Tell me. So, yeah, here's my custom. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, this was actually a gift from a subscriber because I was bitching on so many videos about how much I wanted a spot figure. Um, so, my very first Spider Man comic was Spectacular Spider Man 100, which is on my wall over. Yeah. I, I saw I saw when you passed it. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry for swinging my phone around. I'm hoping I'm making the, the viewers nauseous. That's no, all right. We, we, we uh, do that every week. So, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I've always loved Spot. Um, and I, so, I've, yeah, I've been bitching in a lot of videos, especially because I know Hasbro has him sculpted and done. They just haven't released him. Yeah. Um, he keeps getting bumped. So yeah, so one so um, uh, Juan Soto, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, just made he mailed this to me. He's so, like, you know, uh, I've, I actually have an upcoming video where I thank him. My videos are a little, uh, I do them in advance, but yeah, I was like so excited to get this because I don't know when Hasbro's ever going to get to him. But yeah, he, he said, "Shut up, Bertie, take this." I'm I'm, I'm going to one up you though on mine though. Check this out. So. Uh, I could remove his arm, and they're attached by magnets. Okay, that's freaking awesome. And also his leg removed, and it's attached by a magnet. And then I also have an alternate head, which has a Spider-Man arm that is also attached by a magnet there. So Yeah, that is absolutely one-up. That is amazing. So that I hear that's actually how the figure is. He's got Spider-Man's arm coming out. I and hope I'm, so. I'm actually concerned with how they're going to do it, because I know they don't use magnets because the whole dangerous kid thing. Which that's how it should be. What you just did with the magnet is perfect. So, are they going to do it with a peg? Does that mean there's going to be like a hole in his chest? Yeah, like potential. Yeah. Wow. No, I, I absolutely props to that. That is freaking cool. Yeah, that was. I did that last year during the pandemic. I, I I did a lot of work during the pandemic when it came to not only uh, actually patients, but also uh, in in the office doing my custom stuff because I was just bored and needed an outlet. So. 
Um, and he was one of the ones that one of the top on my list that I wanted to get to. But the problem is that at that point, when I did them, they didn't release a lot of just solid white characters. Um, so I had to kind of like retrofit them and spray paint them. And, and it's a pain in the ass keeping the uh, the color on if you start moving joints back and forth. But uh, I figured it out. I put probably way too many spots on there. But uh, I, I like my spot a little more spotted, um, like the more uh, the more the more modern style as opposed to the classic style. But uh, good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I showed you that because uh, yeah. I'm glad you have one as well. I think I think this one is based on Moon Knight. I vow, he also has the uh, the morph head. Oh yes, yeah, it's the yeah. morph head, and it's the Moon Knight. I can tell it's Moon Knight's hands there. Yep. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I was just like so grateful to get this and be able to put yep. it because like, honestly, I think I'm only missing. I don't have a rhino because I don't like the. I want a cla- I want a classic rhino, and uh, that might be about it. I mean, they've done. Pretty much, like Electro was, you know, on the list for a long time, but then they just finally put him out. Uh, I'm going to show you one more that I did. Recognize that guy? Uh oh oh uh, the uh, not the Prowler uh the 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 the, the uh, oh the, it's the guy that um, Venom wrote the story about, right? The, the the oh hold on hold on hold on. I won't tell you. I won't tell you. Uh, Super obscure '80s character. I like my I like my obscure '70s and '80s character Spider-Man villains. That, that that's the character that Eddie Brock wrote the story, right? That Spider-Man mm-hmm. exposed. Yep. Um, so Enrico Palazzo. Enrico Palazzo. Like you remind me of his his it's, it's Sin Eater. Sin Eater. I was like soul kill. I knew it was something Sin Eater. There you go. Oh, and I also a, a classic boomerang. That's got. Yeah, for sure. There's a bunch of stuff to get to. All right, I have a question. So, what was the hardest thing you had to produce when you were on the Maddie line for uh, for Masters of the Universe? The thing that you were like, oh, this is driving me crazy, um, and I can't believe we can't get past this. But you eventually did. Um, I mean, there were definitely things that were sort of after the fact, like fans saying, like, oh, you know, why did this figure have to have this color or this, and me being like, oh, like like Frosta, uh, people didn't like that how white her the plastic was uh, the castle grayskull was you know a bitch and a half i mean you know that was talk about a labor of love that was basically something that i was more or less dared to like to do <laughs> by management that like they thought i would like we will never pull off the pre-sale so fine just let him like you know like you know they never expected it to to succeed um you know and getting it you know, like there there were some changes between the you know like well, like it wasn't like Haslab where they're showing like three D models because they have resources from management to make that happen. We were like literally you know doing this with spit and Java wax, like it was insane. And you know, like we had a, got like literally like a foam board cut out that we made, and the fact that the cast like didn't exactly meet the measurements or there had to be some changes. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't, we wanted to give people exact, but, you know, we were, we were making this up as we went along. There was no template. There was no process. Um, the hoverboard was another one that was a big struggle only because uh, what we did, so that's the Back to the Future hoverboard prop replica we did. And the issue with that is that there's not one prop. There were 27. Mm. And we were fortunate enough that Bob Gale, the producer, came to Mattel and brought some and showed us them so we could take measurements but again like not no two of them were the same so 
like which hoverboard do you do from this shot or that shot? Uh, you know, and if you look carefully in the movie, like sometimes the green is bright, sometimes the green is dark. And uh, yeah, I mean, that just pleasing, like it really, that one I think was the most soul crushing at the end, not pleasing the fans because so much love went into that. And there was so much negative feedback like, oh, you know, why couldn't you have had the sticker be sparkly or, or you know, but the most insane was, and this absolutely with the hoverboard, for months and years after we did the hoverboard, I would get inundated by fans who were, one, angry because it didn't float. <laughs> so angry. Or fly. You know, I'm sorry that we don't have anti-gravity technology. I'm the bad guy. Um, and then they would send me links to like experimental German physics labs that were coming up with like magnetic track, you know, all this stuff. And it was like, why didn't you put this into it? And I'm like, oh my God, it's a $120 prop replica. Like we're not yeah. going to do a million dollar floating hoverboard. And um, the fact that like, you know, it, it, it didn't like it, it couldn't float and all. And then. The, uh, the argument I would get so many times, and even Bob Gale posted this, which really broke my heart, was saying that why could they make a hoverboard prop in 1987 or whenever the movie was shot um, that looked, you know, as good as the prop did, yet our hoverboard lacked, like, you know, it didn't have, like, the sparkle on the stickers or this and this and this. And the universal answer was, well, it's a $120 toy. And your props were, this is a mass produced toy. Your props, I know you made 27 of them. They were all handmade. And I guarantee you they each cost several thousand dollars to make. So comparing a $120 mass produced product to a handmade thousand dollar prop, like I could not believe that argument was being made, not just by, by the fans, but by the producer of the movie. Like, Wow, that's a shot. You know, so that was that was always that was the hard one. Well, listen, uh, one thing. Sorry, Pop. Go. No, I was gonna. I was just about, just about to say uh, exactly where you were going with this, Doc. Like we always do, we're on the same wavelength. Fans, uh, no matter what genre you in, they all suck because <laughs> in the wrestling bubble, the fans suck. They. Or they think they know everything, especially in the Star Wars community. They they're all jaded. They all think they know everything. They can make better movies than the actual um, studios. Uh, toys, from your obviously experience and your stories right now, you can see uh, firsthand that these fans are never satisfied. You give them an inch, they want a mile. You give them a mile, they want ten miles. So they're never going to be happy. Um, so unfortunately, that's the world we live in. And, you know, like we were saying, the Star Wars fans, they're never happy, whether it's with the movies, whether we're with toys, whether whatever the case may be, they're always divisive. Um, and since we're all Star Wars fans here, uh, what would you say your favorite era of Star Wars is? I'm taking a guess, just educated guess, because of our age, we're probably going to say OT. But uh, are you a fan of the prequels? Are you a fan of the sequel movies? Um. I mean, I can, you know, I'll put an absolute timestamp on it. It's the first 10, it's uh, like the first 20 years. It's 77 to like 96. 
I kind of feel like with the special editions is when things started to go downhill. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was excited for the prequels. Um, you know, I, I, wait, I was in line, you know, three days, three nights, sleeping on an inflatable Millennium Falcon, the whole nine yards. Um, you know, I, I mean, they were obviously what they were. They were different. Um, you know, I, I love The Mandalorian. Um, you know, it's because it's been the closest, I think, to the original trilogy, and it's made, it's being made by people who are fans of that. The, 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 the moment I knew The Mandalorian was going to be great was, like, from the very first scene, uh, when he walks into the bar and you hear the spur sound effect, which is what Boba Fett had in Cloud City. There's no spurs on the boots, but they put spur, they put a spur sound, and as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, we're in for something good. They know what they're doing. Um, and it just, I mean, oh, God, in that moment, that last, the finale of season two, when Luke showed up, I was shaking. I mean, I was just like, like, you know, the, the I mean, you guys have obviously seen it, the, you know, the X-Wing lands. And I'm like, oh, God, that, because at first you're thinking it's going to be those, you know, rebel, uh, you know, uh, pilots, whatever that, you know, the, 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 the cops that pulled him over, uh, you know, several times in the season. Yeah, exactly. And so you're thinking, oh, it's just them. Like, you know, it's going to be a couple of rebel soldiers. that are, And then, you know, yeah, you see like the, the, when you saw the back of his hand and the lightsaber light up, I was just like, oh, my God, this is really happening. And so, <laughs> that's exactly yeah. what I was there. I had my hair was standing up. I'm like, they're going to do it. They better do it. They better not fucking me right now. They better do it. Yeah, because like it was one of those things like you kind of like we all talked about like, oh, we're gonna be awesome if like Luke showed up, but like that's never gonna happen. Like Disney's not gonna let them do that. Like, no way. And they did that. And you know, to me that was the greatest Star Wars thing that's happened since really Return of the Jedi, or maybe Star Tours. Um <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that's that's pretty much, you know, I'll watch, you know, I, I, I don't even think I saw solo in the theaters. Um you know, I like Clone Wars. Oh, did I go out? No, you're still there. We're going to oh, say sorry, I had a microphone flash on my screen. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I enjoyed the Clone Wars cartoon. I'm enjoying Bad Batch. Um, Rebels got better. Um, I didn't watch Rebels till it was like well over, like a year and a half after it was done. Um, it was great to see Thrawn at least sort of back. Um, I like the Timothy Zahn novels. Love the Galoob Micro Machines. Like that whole like 95, 96, like, you know, like when Star Wars was just starting to come back, there was like some really cool stuff. And I think that, um, you know, Lego getting the license was a big thing that really hurt Star Wars collectability because it opened up the options at retail so much more. And I mean, not that I mean, I love Lego and it's great for people who want Lego Star Wars. But, you know, it's like I, I've said a few times on my YouTube Spectre Creative channel, plug number two, that, uh, you know, Back in the early 80s, if you wanted a Greedo, you had one option. Um, you know, I have my Greedo over there on my shelf from when I was a kid. Now you could get him in everything from, you know, a Dorb to a Pez dispenser, you know, to a blanket. And, you know, yeah, there you go. Are you going to make me go get my Greedo? No, he said, I, I just bought this to upgrade the one in my case because mine was all beat up. Though, so don't worry. I'm, I got you. Don't worry. I just want to show you I'm a fan. That's all. 
Only on the NFL podcast, you have two grown men showing yeah. each other their Greedo. And that sounds a lot dirtier than I meant it. Uh, so yeah, mine's even missing one of his uh, antennas. Oh, his antenna. Yeah, I had to upgrade mine because my, the yeah. pain was chipping off of my yeah. hands. Uh, well, I yeah, just picked yeah, these, like, these are my toys from a kid. You know, I nice. Really, you know, clunky. So. I don't have it with me. Tell Java. <laughs> Even I get bored at sometimes. Do you think I had a choice? Over my dead body. Yes, I bet you have. Yeah, there's nothing like holding one, holding, like there's so much more holding this than like. Wait, I must have a retro collection figure here. Uh, yeah. Oh, there he goes. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, that's an interesting concept, right? Yeah. So, one, I was ho hoping they would do that for years for with a three and three four. Um, I never had this Lando as a kid, so this is the retro collection Lando that I got at Walmart two years ago, or whatever. To me, there's so much more energy holding this. Walrus, Pondababa, whatever you're going to call me. I mean, this is mine from a kid. And it's like, even with this recreation, and plus, it, it, you can tell it's kind of like a copy of a copy, like that movie Multiplicity. Nice. You know, <laughs> the classic's not quite right. Um, you know, but what, like what you just held up with that Greedo, for years I was kind of, like, I thought that would be a really cool thing to do with three and three fourths was just repaint the super articulated figures in, you know, like doing a Pondababa in these colors as a way to refresh the figures. Um, it's interesting that they're doing that in six inch, but I think really it's because six inch, the reason it's, it's doing so well at retail is because the price value just isn't there for three and three fourths. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're a parent and you're, you must have, oh, come on. Whoa, hold on, I almost spilled my coffee there. Um, all right, it would help if I was holding up the same figure, but I'm not. Um, you know, I mean, this if you see this Admiral Akbar and then pretend the stormtroopers an Admiral Akbar, you know, this is twenty dollars and this is fourteen dollars. Yeah, as a parent, it's really hard to choose this. Yep, so um, you can tell I obviously have a lot of oh, there, well, no, that's actually my old Admiral Akbar. That's funny. Um, what's he doing there? That's not where he belongs, must be a it's trap. A trap. So, <laughs> Um, yeah, so, and, so yeah, so I, 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 it's, you know, I get why they're doing it with six inch because that's where the bread and butter is just from a price value standpoint these days. Although it is interesting that Greedo figure, uh, you know, the one you just held up, the, the, uh, vintage colored six inch, they, they still gave him his damn holster. It, um, yep. it had with, you know, one, you notice obviously that he doesn't have a holster. Every Greedo figure since this one has been wrong. He doesn't have a holster. Why do they keep giving him a holster? He doesn't have one. He's never had one. Like, what the hell? Like, well, that's because holster lives matter. That's why. Yeah. And they oh, are inclusive well, nowadays. I didn't think about that. I mean, I get it. They want him to, like, you know, a, a place to put his gun, but like, even when they're going. The Vintage series is supposed to be, like, about screen accurate. And every Greedo they've ever put out, from Power of the Force 2 through, I think, uh, the last Greedo we had was the Saga 
uh, original trilogy collection that was like the pre-vintage series with the clamshells have had a holster. So anyway, that's my Greedo rant, but like never made sense of it. <laughs> so would you say we have the reason why I asked about uh, you know what your favorite is? I mean, granted, I agree with you. In Filoni and Favreau, we trust is a saying that we have on this on this show. Uh, the Mando is the best thing that they've done, uh, in my opinion, since Lucas Star Wars. Uh, I do. I mean, I'm a big fan of Solo, the film. I think it's fun. I think it got a bad rap and a bad aftermath uh, backlash from Episode Eight. Um, I think they should have just released it in December as opposed to doing it in May. But I digress. And I'm a big fan of Rogue One. Um, I think the both those anthology films were done very well very true to the star wars nature that we were accustomed to with the first six films to where it feels like star wars but the mandalorian in my opinion is the best thing since dot um and i agree with you uh the reason i asked you about the sequel trilogy is because our third host spiro he's not here right now that's why we always say the force ghost in the room uh because uh he calls himself the darth sith lord of the podcast so we made up the joke where he's in the witness protection program with steve martin and uh, Rick Moranis in My Blue Heaven all the way on Exegol. And uh, we, we include him with sound clips into the show. But um, he hates the sequel trilogy. And he despises episode eight. So we ask all our guests, I mean, what's your, what's your thoughts on the, the Last Jedi? Are you a fan of it or no? Uh, well, I have never rewatched it. So uh, there you go. Questions answered. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll watch Empire probably once a week. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, usually it's because I, I tend to have the movies just going in the background while I work. And yeah. Happy noise. Um, yeah, no, I, I honestly, hopefully this doesn't kill my chances of ever working at Hasbro or Lucasfilm. But um, <laughs> just say allegedly, just say allegedly and you'll be fine. I just I find them really hard to watch. Um, they don't flow as movies. Not that Phantom Menace did either. But, you know, it's for all the all the obvious stuff. You know, there was it, it definitely feels like there was a lack of a plan, picking oh, uh, it up as they go. Um, it feels very much like put together by a corporate spreadsheet. And we've all heard the you know interviews by J.J. Abrams, you know, saying like you know they they that that was not the film he you know the or the uh, what was the, the Rise of Skywalker was not the movie he made. Like it was edited by executives. Um, you know, th- there's no hero's journey. I mean, the reason Luke worked so much is because of, you know, I mean, everything. It's like, you know, what Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park about standing on the shoulders of giants and, you know, building on it. Um, and, you know, I mean, Lucas, you know, I mean, everything from Flash Gordon to Valerian to uh, uh, the Dam Busters, 1956, like, you know, whether you're saying he stole stuff or was influenced by stuff, he was still building on established motifs and traits. And Joseph Campbell, the whole, you know, the hero's journey, like that mythological path that goes back to ancient times where, you know, whether it's Frodo or Harry Potter, or Luke Skywalker or Pinkie Pie, going on that journey is universal. And like Joseph Campbell was right. I mean, I, I you obviously somewhat, I mean, I can, you know, I assume familiar with joseph campbell yeah yeah um so yeah it, it's like there was no i mean what what was ray finn or poe's journey like 
Ray go from like what I'm a scavenger to now I'm a Jedi to now I'm making out with the bad guy. Like, what is her journey? What is what was Poe's journey? What was Finn's journey? Like to make money. I mean, even Han, who was the secondary character, had such a great arc going from, you know, blasting away people for, you know, shooting first in the camp. Always. Always. You know, to, uh, uh, you know, his, um, uh, like, major turning point is volunteering to lead the strike on Endor. Like, that's not something he would have done as the guy in the cantina. And, like, that's such a great character arc. Um, Leia maybe doesn't have as much of an arc. She's just a leader. But Luke and Han sure have arcs. Vader sure has arcs. Anyway, I'm totally ranting here, but like, no, yeah, that's, that's what the podcast is about, man. No worries. <laughs> you know that, and you know, I mean, there were clear scenes added just to be toys. Toys need to be organic. Um, you know, like the Ninja Turtles were so organically created, and things like in. Uh, I think, yeah, it was Rise of Skywalker with those tread meal, tread bikes with the jetpack guys. Like, that was, I mean, it was even said in interviews, it was inserted into the film to sell toys. And, like, you know, toys need to come from the heart and from emotion. And it's like movie first, toy second. You can put in toyetic elements, and you should, like, give characters, you know, signature weapons and, you know, uh, you know different outfits. But saying, like, we're putting this scene in because it's going to, you know, work well as a toy is like, you know, the horse before the cart kind of thing. And, you know, and, and theming the Disneyland land, like, between episode eight and nine, like, what? You know, like, I, I don't want to visit that era of Star Wars. I want to visit, I want to walk around between Empire and Jedi. Um, or maybe, you know, Mandalorian right after Jedi, like... Yeah, I, I know. I'm totally ranting. Like, no, 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 no. I'm oh. with you. I, I, I've been to Galaxy's Edge twice already, and th- though I have enjoyed it, and I think it's a, it's a pretty cool place, it's it's not lost on me that it, for me it would be a lot a lot better and a lot more nostalgic and a lot more exciting if it was you know tethered in an era that's different than than the the sequel trilogy. I get it. You know, they're doing it because kids, you know, the kids today. Wink, wink. Are are going to be raised on what Disney's producing, so they want to have their representation as well. Are Which, they? exactly? So, but if if you're a fan like us, you know you're clearly showing your kids um, what your Star Wars was and, and what brought you to the dance. Um, because I, I don't think you know the sequel trilogy is going to bring a lot of people to the dance, uh, you know, especially in this day and age. It, it doesn't doesn't have the gravitas that. New Hope did, that Empire did, that Jedi did for us. And I don't know if we're looking at it through, you know, nine-year-old eyes, but it was just so much more grander and so much better. It it had so much more weight for us back then. And I don't know if it's because it's the iPad age or, you know, the digital age for these kids right now, and they can care less about toys. And, they you know, know, movies are just like almost a whatever thing, especially now in the last 18 months. But um, I just don't see them investing what we did into it and it, i think it's it's multifactorial when it comes to why that's it, it, it is what it is well he, here's i think the three things that it breaks down to um with disney plus so, so, well okay so lucasfilm used to run you know they would just do you know they could do old-fashioned surveys right you know who do you like who are your favorite characters who are your favorite movies and that's so they could find out who to merchandise 
Um, I know because I was presented with those when I worked at Jax. Now with Disney Plus, they know exactly what people are watching, how much they're watching, like what scenes they rewatch, like down to the millisecond. And you notice there are no sequel trilogy product out at all, like at all. Uh, go on Amazon and Google or Amazon, Google, Google on Amazon. Search for you know just Star Wars T-shirt. It takes four pages before you even get to a shirt that is from the sequel trilogy. It's a BB-8 shirt. All of the shirts before that are all original trilogy and a few Clone Wars and Bad Batch, not even prequel trilogy. So the really the they were. It's not just that we're looking at them through rose-colored glasses or because they were so great. They're better movies. Like, they were better movies. Um, and then the other thing that I feel like doesn't get talked about as much is why Disney bought Star Wars. And, it, it, you know, it wasn't just because it was to add to their boys' IP. They bought it for two very specific reasons, the Chinese market and the female market. Instead of looking at Star Wars as a huge hit boys' brand that they could exploit to boys, in this whole woke, everyone is, you know, the same, we all should like everything world, they wanted to triple down and say, okay, we have the world's number one boys' property, Star Wars. We're going to turn that into the world's number one girls' property and the number one property in the Chinese market, and we're going to make three times as much. Problem is, China had no nostalgia for the old movies because they weren't released there. And while girls are absolutely into Star Wars, boys and girls' brains, especially as children, function very differently. There's very different play patterns. Uh, you know, it's not a sexist thing. Girls are into nurturing play. Boys are into aggressive play. And yes, there are aspirational female figures in Star Wars. Leia, you know, the, the chick who says, you know, fire ion cannons now. But it's, the, the, you know, artificially trying to turn Star Wars into a Chinese property like they did with Rogue One and a girl's property like they did with the, the sequels and, well, and Rogue One to an extent. You know, it's, again, it's like creating by spreadsheet. Like they were designed and, it, it, you know, the Chinese market, because it's making up so much of the box office now, um, you know, because China will only allow in, I think, like 20 or 30 U.S. films a year. And they thought, you know, that's going to be half the box office. And it just bombed in China. And like, you know, Forces of Destiny, like the, the doll line they sold in the boys' aisle, like at least sell that in the girls' aisle. Like, you know, they, they wanted the Star Wars aisle to be like a genderless aisle and just yeah. a brand that would attract, you know, kids like, you know, bees to honey or flies to honey or whatever. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's like you bought the world's greatest boys property, exploit that, like, you know, trying to make it everything to everyone. And God, again, Mandalorian, look at that final episode with Luke, like that has some of the most aspirational female moments of any Star Wars, like content ever. You have, what, four females raiding a Star Destroyer, like kicking ass, making jokes, like, that was awesome, and that happened organically. And yeah, we we say that on we say we, you know like we, we say that on the podcast all the time. Where the Mandalorian, the reason why that last episode was so uh, amazing, not because of just the, the end scene with Luke, which obviously is the greatest Star Wars moment in history, 
but um the powerpuff girls that that raided in the star destroyer was organic and we weren't it, and it wasn't for women raiding the star destroyer it was for great characters that we were emotionally vested with because of their journey because of their their appearances and, and everything they did into the in the in the two seasons of mandalorian we all felt connected to them and we were able to relate with them and they did it as individuals and we didn't look at them as just women and men and you know i'm woman hear me roar um so i, I we we agree with you 100 percent as far as you know anything that that has any meaning in this lifetime whether it's toys movies comics sporting events anything has to be organic can't be forced and that's why the saying that that's that's uh flying around the interwebs now is if you go woke you go broke and that's exactly what's going on you know in hollywood and all over the all over uh television production people are tired of being forced uh, you know, content down their throat, being told what to like and what not to like and how to think because, you know, people want to escape the real world and the problems we're facing today by watching a movie or a television show or reading a book or a magazine or whatever and not being forced in that said content to be like, hey, look at me. I'm a woman. I'm supposed to be here. Let's check off all the boxes because we have a laundry list of things that we need to accomplish in order to not to get hit by the Twitter mob and get canceled. So, we're all with you, man. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. We're all with you. Like everything you just said, like compare that, you know, that that Mandalorian, you know, raid. Yeah, it's like you never think of them as like, oh, there's four females. They were just four kick butt Star Wars characters. Compare that directly to that damn scene in Endgame. Yeah, we, we talk about it all the time. <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? Like all right, everyone with a vagina over here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what kind of battle tech? Like, that, that just there's no way that can happen in on a battlefield. Like, it wasn't organic. That's the problem. The, the like, I was loving that movie, and then that shot took me out of the movie. But in Mandalorian, not once did I think about them being women. I just was like, oh my god, these are four kick-ass warriors, like making jokes and blasting stormtroopers and i'm loving every moment of this well Sid, let me ask you a quick question since you have a finger your finger on the pulse from the toy world i mean i'm like a kid in a candy shop so is doc and we're big 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 fans of boba fett here and with the book of boba fett coming out in december have you been able to hear any news or see anything that you weren't supposed to see but luckily have seen relating to the book of boba fett as far as toys goes or anything of that nature? Um, you know, I do kind of joke around on my, my uh, YouTube channel, Spectra Creative, plug number three. Plug away, my man. Just like in a whorehouse. Don't worry. You know, my spy network is vast in some sense, and I do, I do hear about a lot. Um, with the Book of Boba Fett, so with Star Wars in general, you're dealing with a, with a moment in time here where you've had five movie and toy failures in a, in a straight row. And, you know, it's like, fool me once, shame on me, fool me five times, I'm Michael Scott. And, <laughs> you know, retailers tend not to, you know, like, look at, you know, Masters of the Universe, the, it, you know, it's coming back to retail now, right? Or it is with Origins. The yeah. last time Masters of the Universe was at retail before Origins and the, the new Kevin Smith, you know, line coming out, 
He-Man toys were packed with VHS. So, um, basic, you know, retailers, you know, are slow to forget and slow to forgive. So, a big reason that we're seeing, you know, like even there's very little man. You think there'd be more Mandalorian merchandise? You know, Force Awakens had product out there four months before the movie did. You know, because they were showing designs and whatever, you know, early to, to make sure toy makers could do that. And you know, even with Mandalorian as great as this, and now that we've had two seasons, like retailers are, or the whole industry is now just catching up with season one. Like if you notice the the characters that were just released, uh, you know you've got uh, you know the the Ugna and you know in the vintage series and uh, Mithril is that his name the the um, yeah the, yeah the the blue guy yeah um, so it's like though you know yeah you've got Bo Katan but um, you know that for the most part you've got figures from the first season and that is exactly that disconnect that a lot of fans have on the logistical timeline. So unless retailers are like hugely behind the book of Boba Fett, which I, I could see from our standpoint, it's like, oh, wow, we, okay, we just had two successful seasons of The Mandalorian. So now with the book of Boba Fett, which maybe you could think of as season three, now retailers are going to be on board. But you have to realize production, so anything that's going to be at retail at the time Book of Boba Fett comes out in December, right? Is that when it's supposed to come out? Yeah. That would have had to have gone into, like, design and selling would have had to happen at the time that The Mandalorian Season 1 was airing. So, and there obviously was no Book of Boba Fett being planned at that time. So the reason, so we're, the reason we're seeing lags in product is partially because you know, not that they're making this up as they go, but like, you know, they didn't know it was going to be this successful, but the failure of, and you know, I'm not saying they were all failure movies, but from a financial standpoint, especially in the toy aisle, they were failures. They all wound up on clearance, you know, uh, uh, Skywalker, uh, Rise of Skywalker, Name Me Skywalker. I mean, it barely had any merchandise at all because retailers were like, I'm not interested in Star Wars anymore. Give me more Fortnite. I need what's selling. Like, I don't care about Star Wars. Like, you guys, we care about Star Wars, but I run Walmart and Target, and I need something that sells. So stop shoving this 50-year-old property at me. You've sh- The last five movies have bombed. Why should I trust you with the sixth one? You know, oh, no, this one's going to work, you know, because it's got Boba Fett. You know, it's like, put yourself in the retail buyer's shoes. You just lost a huge amount of money on five Star Wars projects in a row. Yeah, we all had Baby Yoda in there, and that's an anomaly. You know, you know, no one is, th- because, you know, like, the, the breakout character aspect of Baby Yoda didn't happen with any, I mean, D- D.O. was supposed to be, like, a breakout character, like, you know, BB-8, uh, you know, uh, none of that happened. There was no breakout character in five movies. K K two or K right? He was supposed he was he was created to be Chewbacca plus C three PO because those are the two most popular characters uh, next to Darth Vader. So he was literally created by a spreadsheet to be the combination of Chewbacca and C three PO. But then they killed him. Like 
dead characters aren't aspirational. I mean, yeah, you can kill Obi-Wan, but that's about it. Like, yeah. you can't kill off every hero in the movie and expect kids to want to play out additional adventures. I'm totally off your question, but the point of Book of Boba Fett is, uh, you know, it takes three years from brainstorm to us buying it. And that hasn't happened. We haven't had three years. So gotcha. I would expect Book of Boba Fett figures to show up in like a year and a half from now, two years from now. But, you know, what they'll probably do is they'll just put a bunch of Boba Fett figures out. I mean, they were very smart with the, uh, the, the Black Series release. You know, this figure could easily be repainted as, you know, because it's got the, you know, the sash and stuff. So we'll probably see, yeah, we'll see the, this figure and the three and three fourth one that they just put out repainted as Book of Boba Fett Boba. But that's probably about it. And, you know, they've got a lot. I mean, easily you could slap them on shirts and keychains. But to tool a figure, um, you know, if there's whoever the main other adversaries are, like, we're not going to see figures of them for at least two years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, look, it's very insightful what you said. A lot of people don't know how the sausage is made from the toy industry. I know Doc does. Um, you know, I had some inclination. I've worked in... Uh, not in toys, but other products that are the same type of uh, formula where they come from start to finish. It takes time to process things out and think tanks and, and all these other groups that meet and you try to figure out how to make uh, make it happen. So very insightful. Uh, are, are you excited? I mean, what are you most excited for down the pike with Disney Plus? Are you excited for Andor, Kenobi, uh, Boba Fett, season three of The Mandalorian? What, what, what are you looking forward to the most? Um... You know, Kenobi's definitely something that interests me, especially I'm a huge, I mean, what I think they're just doing is they're taking the movie and turning it into a six episode series. Um, and I really like the script to the movie. So I'm looking forward to, you know, you read, you read, you read the script to the movie? Um, more or less. Oh, you know, oh like wow. My spy network is vast. Um, you know, I know people who know people who are people who have the force. So, you know, I, I love Tusken Raiders and I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, so, you know, that, that's going to be cool. And I'm glad that they're just doing it as like a finite six episode thing. They're not trying to go forever. Um, what I don't like is that they've got so much. I think that they're getting, they may be getting a little greedy, um, you know, doing, you know, a hundred different shows now. You know, they've got Ahsoka and they've got, you know, they're also all over the place as far as timeline. I think that... That was a big, big issue um, with retailers as well. And by the way, I only have about 10 minutes or so because I've got to go be a parent again at 930. We all do. No yeah. worries. Um, you know, was the fact that between uh, episode seven and eight with Rogue One and like, you know, we're all so emotionally invested in this and we, we could handle the fact that there's a time jump around. Well, retailers can't. Like when Rogue One came out, they're like, okay, so this is a sequel to episode seven. And then it'd be like, no, 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 no. This takes place right before episode four. Uh, wait, which one's episode four again? Like, it's very confusing. Like, you, you have to think of it as if you know nothing about Star Wars. And someone is saying, okay, episode seven takes place 35 years after the movie that came out in 1983. And then the next movie takes place a month before the movie that came out in 1977. And you're left going like, Oh my God, my head's exploding. Like, how am I going to explain this to anyone? Um, 
so with the shows, yeah, I mean, like the fact that they're doing so much and they're jumping around time, you know, some some take place in the Mandalorian era, some take place in the new new sequel era. Uh, you know, Obi Wan Kenobi takes place between episodes three and four. Um, obviously, I'm really excited about Mandalorian and where it goes. I just hope they let John do whatever, and John and and uh, you know Filoni and Favreau do whatever they want, and just you know keep every you know anyone else out of their way. Um, I love that they blew up the Razor Crest. I know people are bitter about that. They're <laughs> holding down three hundred fifty bucks, but the reason I love that is it's the same thing as blowing up Asgard um, at the end of Thor three. Because you can't move a character forward until they experience tragedy and the loss of their identity. So from a storytelling point, he can no longer be a bounty hunter. And I, I'm really hoping that his long-term character arc is becoming savior of the Mandalorians. Um, so he's, you know, the, the, idea, the, the Mandalorian that walked into that bar to arrest Mithril in episode one, we get to season five and he's sitting on the throne of Mandalore. Like, that's going to be a cool arc. Expecting him to just be a bounty hunter forever. And, like, the fact that it's, it's you know, it's not like Star Trek, where, or you know, where every episode is basically more or less the same thing. And it's very, um, you know, uh, templated. With what it seems like with Mandalorians, they're actually going on a, sto- a character arc, which is, that's what I love about it. And I'm excited to see that how he changes from being a bounty hunter to whatever he's going to turn into. Um, you know, so yeah, that's your know, book of Boba Fett. I mean, we all, I mean, Boba Fett's been, you know, since, you know, 82, 83, you know, it's whatever he's been that, you know, the fact that he's now officially out of the Sarlacc pit, like, you know, that's, that's cool. I loved him in season two. I kind of more like feel like less is more, but we're getting a whole season of him or a whole show. I, I, if, if, you know, if it's Dave and John, like I have a lot more faith, um, just, I, I just don't want to see them do too much with the brand too quickly because it's going to be hard for retailers to understand, okay, this show, and this show here and this show and this show, it's all Star Wars. Like it's, we get it, but it's so, so, I mean, I've been in meetings pitching, I pitched Rogue One to, to retailers. I was there. Uh, you know, pitching the toy line. And it's like, their eyes just glaze over. Like, I don't, I can't follow this. Like, where's Chewbacca and Darth Vader again? Like, yeah. you know, we have very different cognitive schemas of Star Wars between the us and, you know, the rest, <laughs> normal people. I don't know, you know. Yeah. I get it, the common person. Yeah, I get it, I get it. Um, you're probably privy to this, um, but all these shows that are coming out through the Filoni-verse, quote-unquote, uh, are going to lead up to a big mashup event, almost like a um, like a crisis type of event. Whether it's going to be on Disney Plus as a film or in the theaters as a mega motion picture, um, it's going to culminate to something, almost like a, like a, like an annual in a comic. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, they just canceled or they shelved Rangers. Um, there's rumors afoot uh, they're going to do a Luke series to f- replace. Um, the Rangers hole in that whole equation. And they might be using Sebastian Stan for Luke, or they might just do Mark Hamill with a CGI and get better CGI for it. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Would you like to see a Luke series showing up between six and seven where we can finally get the Luke that we all deserve? <laughs> the, the Luke. The way, I, I love that. I mean, 
I love Luke in episode eight. I think that the uh, the problem is the execution of going from A to Z and from B to Y never being shown or explained. 40 years of history, not, you know, just being left up to speculation and headcanon is the issue. I think, they, they you know, we have a saying here that we steal from Tropic Thunder, the movie. Have you ever seen the movie Tropic Thunder? Oh, yeah, you gotta go full retard. Yeah, you never go full retard. And they went full retard, and that's why it backfired. You're serious? You don't know. <laughs> Everybody knows you never go full retard. What do you mean? Check it out. Dustin Hoffman, Ray Man, look retarded, act retarded. Not retarded. Count two picks, cheated cards. Autistic. Show. Not retarded. You got Tom Hanks, Forrest Gump. Slow, yes, retarded, maybe. Braces on his legs. But he charmed the pants off next to him won a ping pong competition. That ain't retarded. And he was a goddamn war hero. Right. You know any retarded war heroes? You went full retard, man. Never go full retard. You don't buy that? Ask Sean Penn, 2001, I am saying. Remember? Went full retard. Went home empty handed. But anyway, uh, what's your thoughts? Would you like to see a Luke series on Disney Plus? Yes and no. Um, obviously, you know, pass on what you have learned. We've been waiting to see that for 40 years, like, you know, and, you know, there was the Zon books and there was the Dark Horse stuff. Um, so there's definitely part, you know, there's that fanboy in me that would love to see that. Um, I also think that doing that through Mandalorian, you know, and just like, you know, like we might check in with Luke every so often or, you know, with, with, uh, uh Baby Yoda you know, or whatever, you know, the less is, I don't, in a way, less is more, like it was so impactful. And, you know, but I also get from a month, I would, I, I would bet on them doing it from a financial standpoint. Um, but as much as like, I want to see, I don't know, it just like, at the end of the day, it's like four, five, and six. Like, the, the, you know, when you have... I guess here's actually, and this is a great kind of closing thought to everything. Um, and uh, please don't let me stop your podcast, even if I have to run to go be a parent. But from a much larger standpoint, we're living in a, a very interesting world now where fictional characters have unlimited adventures. And that's never existed in history before. So, you know, I mean, when Spider-Man was created, when Superman or Batman were created in you know, the late 30s, early 40s, the creators I don't think ever had in their wildest imagination that these characters were going to go for 100 years or 80 years, whatever Batman's up to, and, you know, and, and have you know, countless you know, uh, you know, adventures against the Joker or against Doc Ock or whatever. And when you have unlimited content based around a character, in a way, it, well, it dilutes the character in a sense. Versus, if you look at something pre-modern, like you know, even look at like Tarzan or Sherlock Holmes or the Scarlet Pimpernel or uh, Don Quixote, um, you know, or even go back to Greek mythology, those characters had sort of like or the Bible, you know, those all those characters had like set stories. They had a finite story you could follow. And, you know, there's 27 Sherlock Holmes, you know, whatever book, well, you know, there's 56 short stories and four uh, novels. And that's it. That's the, you know, it's cut off. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's other people that other authors that have continued it, but if it wasn't written by Arthur Conan Doyle, people are like, that doesn't count. So because we're living in this world of unlimited issues of Spider-Man and now unlimited movies and TV shows of Star Wars, it, to me, it, it very much dilutes the brand because you get, oh, I'm a fan of the prequels, like you guys asked. I'm a fan of the sequels. I'm a fan of the original trilogy. I'm a fan of Caravan of Courage. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> it, it, it's hard on everybody. It's hard on the retailers. It's hard on the fan base. It divides everybody. And in so many ways, like, it, to me, I don't know. I mean, I get, they're, they're all owned by corporations now. That's the thing. All of the characters are. So the corporations are just, you know, like, Spider-Man's never going to die. You know, like, you know, we knew when everyone got dusted in Infinity War, they were all coming back. Like, you, you know, it, it's like this, you know, you don't feel consequence because they're now all corporate icons instead of organic characters being told in stories. So, you know, to me, I would love it. I would, you know, Mandalorian feels like it could go, you know, like, but it's also, it's like a new character they've made up set in that universe, but it's not, you know, and like other, you know, yeah, he meets characters that we may have seen, like Luke. But to me, I feel like I would much rather that, like, explore new characters living in this universe than trying to continually pump out unlimited stories, you know, of, you know, Han Solo or Chewbacca or Luke or Obi-Wan or whatever. Um, you know, let them be. Let them have their stories. They have their story. And, uh, you know, move on.org. Let's, you know, see what yeah. happens. The only problem I see with that as far as Star Wars pertains is that the Jedi and the Sith are the nucleus, the secret sauce, if you will, uh, of Star Wars. So in order for you to move forward, you definitely need to incorporate the Jedi and the Sith or the dark side of the Force. You can't have Star Wars without the Force, in my opinion. And the fact that we're at a time where Luke is mainly the only Jedi now besides Ahsoka, and she's not really a Jedi. She's just herself. That's the issue, in my opinion. The fact that we could have new characters and this, that, and the other, and, and you know, we'll see something that takes place over here, see something that takes place over here, doing the same timeline, and they don't intersect. But then if you're going to have Star Wars and it's only uh, bounty hunters or only um, X-Wing pilots, then it, to me, it's always going to miss miss that one seasoning to make the, the final stew taste great. You know, you need that 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 force aspect. You know, and unfortunately, we don't have the opportunity where we can go with Jedi. You know, Master John Smith, who's on this planet over here with his crew over here, and Sith Lord, you know, Bob Jones over here, because they're not around. And if they do create them, then then Jones is around. I've seen it. <laughs> anyway, Doc, what did you want to say? You're on mute, bro. For a while because of my kids, sorry. Uh, we'll close, Scott. I have one question for you, since uh, you and I probably have a very similar collection. How was it moving 10,000 action figures across the country? <laughs> um, I tried to be very strategic. Um, I had most of everything in sealed tubs and with extensive notes of what was in each tub. <clears throat> um, so like, I, you know, like, and it was sort of done by collections. I knew, 
all of my Motu classics were in this tub. All of my DCU classics in this tub. All of my Marvel Legends in this tub. Um, the thing that got effed up was all of my Star Wars figures that you saw in those drawers. Um, I had instructed the movers to put all those drawers in boxes. And instead, they just wrapped the drawers um, with pl in plastic. And that caused some, like, and then moved them as individual boxes as opposed to. And I was, like, so pissed because that's why I lost some accessories um, because they fell out. Um, so that that was really the only, but, you know, if you're, other than that, everything, and that weird Spider-Man, um, you know, everything showed up. But, uh, you know, it definitely, there was, you know, and resetting everything up took time um, and all that. But, yeah, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> it was a struggle. That's my biggest fear when it comes to moving is like, uh, you know, I, I did some local moves in New York, but it's cross country makes me very, very nervous. Tubs, you know, everything in those big, you know, sealable tubs, you know, and then tape them closed yourself. A lot of, pla you know, plastic baggies, like basically, you know, figures, Ziplocs, and then in tubs. Um, you know, it took, yeah, but it was also great because it gave me a chance to go through my entire collection, you know, yeah. everything and just, you know, like, oh, I don't need this. I need this. This is missing this. This figure's yellowed. He's missing a cape. Um, so in that sense, it was good to actually, you know, experience my entire toy collection. But yeah, getting getting here and realizing, like, because the movers moved all of those drawer sets as a box instead of putting them in a box, like, that was, I was, like, so angry over that because, um, you know, it caused some accessories to fall out. And I was, like, trying to be so careful. But, I've you know, I've probably spent, I would say, about $200 replacing figure you know figures because i lost an accessory since i moved so eh, you know that's not, that's not terrible no it's not it wasn't terrible like i had to buy a new macquarie yoda um from the the comic-con yoda obi-wan two-pack because uh his staff uh, his stick was missing and he's got a unique stick and i'm ocd with that i want to have every figure and every accessory so that was an example it's like the stick was gone I was like, oh, God, that probably, like, it fell out and they probably didn't even realize it was an accessory. They probably thought it was a twig, like, you know, in the truck. Um, so, yeah, you know, so I spent about $200 doing that. Um, real quick, uh, we had a guest on the show. His name was John Ragusa. He's in upstate New York. He has a toy store that specializes in toys for children, but also for collectors. Uh, we'll send you over his contact. If you ever need anything, hit him up. You know, he'll if you're missing an accessory, he sends out sells them separately, so you don't have to go buy the whole figure. This, that, and the other. He has like a whole vast array of stuff that may interest you. So, oh, yeah. that would be great because I am still missing uh, Yara Gugata, whatever the, the, the six-breasted dancer. I'm missing her glass. Uh, gotcha. Do other like little things. I have a like I actually have a list. I'm missing. All right, like, cool man. Watts bows stuff like that. So yeah, very, very cool, very cool. Uh, one last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, if you had the financial capabilities, would you buy the Boba Fett prototype figure with the with the jetpack? If I had unlimited money, well, not well. If you could afford it, um, I you know there's other expensive collectibles. I think I would rather have, um, you know, like like over like as cool as that is, um, you know, I I, I think there are other high end collectible figures or comic books I would rather spend the money on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, I, you know, 
I wouldn't put it, you know, if I'm a gazillionaire, I, I wouldn't put it past me, uh, you know, but I wouldn't say it's my, uh, it would like, you know, if, if someone handed me a billion dollars right now and I could buy it, all the stuff I've always wanted, it wouldn't be my first purchase. Cool. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming on board the show. Uh, it was definitely entertaining and awesome sitting here talking shop with you, brother. Uh, so, Scott, you know, if you ever want to come back before the drop at Target and you want to just uh, let everybody know then what's going on, you're more than welcome to. You have an open invitation to come back to the podcast whenever you want. Um, just uh, do us all a favor right now. Let the people know, all six of our fans, where they can find you at and plug away, my friend. You were plugging all the show, which is fine. We don't mind plugs. Plug all your sites, plug all your your locations, your social media links, and let them know where they can find you at. Awesome. Thank you. And I had a blast. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite back because I'd love to come back. And I, I, I absolutely love these kind of conversations. I don't get to have them. You know, yeah. Life. Um, so, okay. So you can find me online. Uh, the biggest thing is on YouTube. Check out my channel, Spectra Creative. Spectra with an O. Um, you will. I have hundreds of videos all about toy industry, how it really works, logistics, as well as like I do um, wave by wave history of modern Star Wars toys. Um, you know every single figure in the modern line. Same with Masters of the Universe, DC. I mean, if you're a toy fan, definitely. I mean, you'll you'll enjoy it. There's lots of stuff. And then SpectraCreative.com is my company site. If you have an idea for a toy, if you have an existing product that you just need help either getting to market, getting uh, developed, I do branding, content, and retail development for clients who have product that want to sell at Target, sell on Amazon, wherever. Um, I can help you develop it and get it from an idea in your head to an actual thing on shelf. And I'm very affordable. So spectracreative.com, you can check that out. Really specializing in unlocking the emotional connection between product and consumer that really no one else does. Because uh, my team is also filled with child play therapists and uh, LCSWs. And my partner has a master's degree from NYU in child play therapy. So uh, we definitely offer very unique services uh, for people with toy ideas. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I, you know, it's really uh, YouTube is is where you're going to find all my new stuff. And uh, I, uh, you know, wish everyone a good journey and uh, may the force be with them. Awesome. Awesome. Doc, let them know where we can find you at. You can find me at Dr. D-R underscore Destroyo, D-E-S-T-R-O-I-O, Instagram, Alex Arroyo, M-D on Twitter, Alex Arroyo on Facebook. Spiro, hit them up. Let them know where they can find you at. Yeah, man, it's been great. But you can also find me every Friday on the on the Rational Rage podcast on the Rational Rage Network. People come on, they hang out, we have a few drinks, and we talk about anything, you know. Uh, on Instagram, Spiro underscore A, Darth underscore Spiridon. That's it, guys. You can find me at Greek God Papadon on Twitter and Instagram, Demetrius Papadon on Facebook. Greek God Papadon is the YouTube channel. You can see my matches, promos, etc. You can go to my t-shirt store at Pro Wrestling Tees slash Greek God Papadon. Buy your GGP t-shirt to be the coolest looking kid in the remote school. Um, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your time. Thank you, Scott, for coming on. Hopefully we entertained you, we enlightened you, and we got Star Wars more over with you, and we did not get ourselves over on the expense of Star Wars. Uh, this has been another exciting Incentive, uh, I'm sorry, exciting, action packed, 
edition of the new Force Order. For life. And that's just too sweet. Henceforth, execute order NFO. <laughs>